0: Yeah. Let's be a life, no gimmick. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Triple S Podcast. This is your host Brandon Smith coming at you once again. And today's episode is going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, just wanted to make an episode though, not too much to talk about uh, today. We're going to be talking a little bit about what's going on in the NFL. Uh, We have some news that's come out about a couple different teams and the league in general. Also going to go over the UFC card tonight and some up-and-coming fights that have been announced that are pretty exciting. So with that being said, let's get right into it. So starting off in the NFL, uh, the biggest news in my opinion is that the cap space for the 2021 season was officially announced. It had been rumored for a little while. People were kind of assuming that the number would go down. Uh, The cap space usually goes up every year, but people were assuming with COVID and the way that the league has um, kind of been handling revenue that the number would actually go down for the first time in a little while. And they were correct. Last year's cap number was $198.2 million. This year's cap, it went down $15.7 million to $182.5 million. That is a huge decrease, let me tell you. And just, just for a bit of perspective on how much you know $15.7 million really is in the grand scheme of things, if you look at a team like the um the Cleveland Browns per se, Odell Beckham Jr. is scheduled to make just around 15.7, I think it's 15.71 million dollars in 2021. So basically you're looking at every team and say every team was exactly, you know, they weren't over the cap, they weren't under the cap, they were right on par. You're looking at every team and saying, okay, take an Odell Beckham lever, level player and remove him from your roster. So dropping the cap 15 million is definitely huge, especially when you already had teams that were in the negatives. So teams like the Saints, the Bears, they're looking like they're in really bad shape right now. And uh, like I said in the last episode, it's going to be a veteran slaughterhouse. And we're about to get into some of the, the uh, moves that have gone on around the league. And you'll see that. The slaughter has already begun, and I do not think it's done. So looking around the league at some of the notable cuts so far, uh, like I always do, I'm going to start with my team. The Miami Dolphins cut Kyle Van Noy, outside linebacker. Uh, he was one year into a four-year deal, which seems a little bit odd. But when you look at the numbers and the money he was guaranteed, they're going to save a lot more money than they are going to eat in dead cap. They are still going to have to cut Kyle Van Noy a, uh, a check, I believe, for... A little over $10 million, but in the grand scheme of things, they're going to net uh, more cap space than they're going to lose by cutting him. And uh, especially anyone who follows Miami Dolphins football, you would know um, that Calvin Noy's backup, Andrew Van Ginkle, had a breakout type season. Uh, or maybe maybe not a breakout, that might be putting it a bit strongly, but he played well enough to, I think, that his play was the main reason Calvin Noy was able to be expendable. So, you know, allowing a younger player who costs a lot less. To step in and fill that role, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot around the league. So continuing on that same kind of theme, uh, New Orleans is a team like I've said a few times before. They are in horrible cap, uh, in a horrible cap space situation. They cut three uh, skilled veteran-type players. They cut Janoris Jenkins, Quan Alexander, and Emmanuel Sanders. So a starting corner, a starting receiver, and a starting linebacker. Does not look good in New Orleans right now, if I'm being honest. Uh, Drew Brees looks like he's probably not coming back. You're over the cap by a ton. Uh, So we're going to see how things unroll in New Orleans. But for now, they've cut three uh, big-name players. Uh, Another interesting situation, in my opinion, is the Kansas City Chiefs. So coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, the Chiefs are in good shape. But I've said it, I don't know how many times I've said it on this podcast, but Patrick Mahomes, his real money is only starting to kick in this season. Uh, he actually went ahead and restructured his deal because I think he went, he saw that, okay, I I want to make money, but I can't be making as much as I was contracted to make because if that's the case, we're just not going to have any good players around me. And I think that the wake-up call for him is when the Kansas City Chiefs cut both of their starting tackles from 2020 Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, their right tackle, and Eric Fisher, who was a former number one overall pick, their left tackle. Um, So cutting those two players, they ate $7 million of dead cap, which doesn't look great, but the total savings was around $18.3 million, so the net was $11.3 million in cap space. And if you couple that with Patrick Mahomes, um, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I am sure that he restructured his contract to be able to afford more cap space for the uh, immediate term to the Kansas City Chiefs. And the last veteran cut that I want to talk about is John Brown from the Buffalo Bills, their wide receiver. He was cut. This one made sense to me because John Brown, let me just look it up real quick, what his cap number was. But when you look at the Buffalo Bills, they had Stephon Diggs, who had a career year in uh, in 2020. You had Cole Beasley, who was also having a career year in 2020 as well. Both of those guys were all pros. And you couple that with the fact that they have a young receiver core in Uh, Gabriel Davis, who I believe was a rookie or second-year player this year, uh, he exploded onto the scene pretty much, so he'll pretty much be their number three receiver. And I'm just opening up the contract details right now. Uh, Let me see. So, the Buffalo Bills cut John Brown for 2021. That saved them about $8 million in cap space, so that's huge. $8 million can get you... At least one solid starting player, I would say, Uh, if not two, you know, bargain type players, maybe two guys that'll take four million a year. Uh, So eight million is definitely nothing to scoff at. So cutting John Brown definitely made sense. And uh, the Bills, who are, they look okay when you look at the league in terms of who has cap space. The Bills, I believe, are just into the positives. They they have about one or two million. Uh, I'm not sure if this is after or before the John Brown move, so maybe they have maybe around $10 million now. But they still have to give Josh Allen his big money deal. I heard one of my friends say that, well, they might just franchise tag him, which is an option, but that's not going to bode well. It's not going to make him happy. We saw how it went with Dallas and Dak Prescott. Uh, they did eventually get the deal done, but it definitely caused some strain on the relationship, which is not something you want to do with a star quarterback. You want to keep that guy happy and get him his money as soon as possible and the amount that he wants and his worth. Uh, so I think that the Bills are probably going to be cutting a few more players to try and have enough cap space to give Josh Allen the deal that he would like. So a couple other things to talk about. Uh, the first one is something that brings me great joy being a Dolphins fan. The New England Patriots have signed Cam Newton back to a one-year deal worth up to $14 million with incentives. Uh, I believe the base amount is six million. So it's a one year six million dollar deal really. And uh, depending on how far the Patriots get, uh, it could be up to 14 million or depending on how well Cam Newton does. So let's just say it's a six million dollar deal because uh, we saw how last season went. Uh, it makes me very happy to see that Cam Newton will be returning to New England. Uh, but all jokes aside, I am happy for Cam. I do like him as a person and as a player. Uh, and the fact that he's not, you know at his elite level makes it a little bit nicer. To know that he's on a division rival team, but good for Cam, and you know, in a roundabout way, also good for the Dolphins. Uh, speaking of good for the Dolphins, uh, a move that I think flew under a lot of people's radars, unless they are avid Dolphins fans or maybe Titans fans. So last year in 2021, the uh, Tennessee Titans drafted Isaiah Wilson, who is a right tackle out of Georgia, with their 29th overall pick in the first round. This is 2020 we're talking about, so. The same draft class as Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, all those guys. So 29th overall in that same first round, uh, they took Isaiah Wilson. Uh, Wilson played all of four snaps, though, for the Titans in 2020. He went through some issues with the law. He went through some issues with the team. He was caught sneaking out of the uh, facilities to go and party during training camp. Uh, and then just was getting into a bunch of issues to the point where... Uh, The Titans decided to go with, uh, I believe his name is something, Kelly, as their right tackle. And they thought, we're not even going to deal with Isaiah Wilson right now. And at one point, Isaiah Wilson even tweeted out, I'm done with football as a Titan. So it seemed like a split was imminent. Uh, He does, like I said, he's he's had these issues, but he's still a good football player. He's got to get his head on straight, but he has the potential. He was a first-round pick for a reason. So the Dolphins went ahead and... I guess they got into conversations with the Titans. They said, listen, you know, this guy doesn't want to play for you. It appears that you don't want him to play for you either. Let us take him off your hands. And Chris Greer, the GM for the Dolphins, hats off to you. I don't know how he swung this, but he was able to lift a 2020 first-round pick, 29th overall, from the Tennessee Titans, and here's what he had to give up. He gave up a 2021 seventh-rounder, so that's a seventh-rounder in this year's draft, and in return, he got Isaiah Wilson, who was a 2020 first-rounder, and he got a 2022 seventh-rounder. So basically, we took a seventh-rounder this year, we turned it into a 2022 first-rounder, so a seventh-rounder next year, and we got a first-round in 2020 right tackle, who has behavioral issues. Now, it's it's all for naught if he doesn't pass the physical, or if he doesn't turn around his attitude, But I have a feeling that Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins staff will be able to uh, get this kid on the right track. We're a very good uh, developmental team. And one thing that I heard, I'm not sure whether it's true or not, it it was a rumor, was that Brian uh, Flores, as soon as the trade, uh, well, it hasn't actually gone through. It has to go through uh, when the league year begins, which I believe is this Thursday coming up. But uh, I believe I heard some rumors that Ryan Flores, as soon as the trade started to be talked about, reached out to Wilson's family and saw if they would be interested in moving down to South Florida to be closer to him. Uh, he thought that that was maybe one of the issues, that Wilson didn't have you know, a strong support system around him. So bring his family up from wherever they're from to be close to him in Florida could be what he needs to get on track. So super excited to see how Isaiah Wilson uh, fares with the Miami Dolphins. And last but not least for NFL news, we're going to flip over to the Houston Texans, and it's another move that, not not necessarily a move, but it's more news that kind of makes me smile as a Dolphins fan. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll just get into it, and then I'll give my take afterwards. But So basically, the new coach for the Houston Texans, David Cully, uh, gave an interview on a, a radio show or some type of internet show, and he was asked about Deshaun Watson. And his answer was pretty shocking because... So far, the Houston Texans' official stance has been, we are not trading Deshaun Watson. You know, we're not taking calls. Deshaun Watson is our quarterback. Deshaun, 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 he's not going anywhere. We're not trading Deshaun Watson. Now, when he was asked on this radio show, David Cully, when he was asked on the radio show, his answer was, in essence, he said, yes, Deshaun Watson is our quarterback, but he used the two words that I'm sure the Texans GM did not, absolutely did not want him to use. He said, yes, Deshaun Watson is our quarterback right now. Now, those two words, it might, it's true, he is their quarterback right now, but those two words at the end are very, very damning, and I'll explain to you why. I don't think that anybody truly believes that Houston will not, by any means, if by any offer that comes to the table, they'll decline anything, and keep Deshaun Watson at all costs. If a team comes up and says, "We're going to give you six first rounders and two defensive starters," uh, you know they're going to take that trade. Especially if one of the picks is high enough that they can go and get their quarterback to replace Deshaun Watson. So I think any player in the NFL, even Patrick Mahomes, is at the right price. That's the key words there. Certain players like Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be maybe it might be six first round picks. Every player has a price though. And I believe the reason that this is so damning is because the Houston Texans' official stance of saying, we are not trading him, we're not trading him, all that does is drive the price up to teams on the outside looking to trade for him. Because the more other teams think that the Texans are set on Deshaun, Deshaun is our guy, he's not going anywhere, the more they think they're going to have to give to the Texans to lift him off of them. If it appears that the relationship is fractured and Deshaun is disgruntled, which it does, but if it appears that Houston is is shopping him, all that does is lower the cost because a team might look and say, you know, I, why am I going to give you five or six first rounders when this guy doesn't even want to be there anyway? And it appears that, you know, if he holds out, the price is just going to go down. So I think that it was extremely damning for David Cully to say that he's their quarterback right now. It's just going to lower the price for Deshaun Watson. Now, what makes this even funnier is that The same day, the exact same day that he had this radio interview, he had an official press conference with the Houston Texans and their media. And he was asked about what he said. And you could tell that he had a meeting with the GM between his internet meeting and his media availability with the Texans because he was saying, Deshaun is our quarterback. You know, we're not trading him. He he never used the words right now. He said, Deshaun Watson is our quarterback. He's not going anywhere. And it was weird to me because he said that uh, he believes that Deshaun has trust in the team and that he will be a Texan and he wants to be a Texan. And he was asked by one of the reporters, well, why do you think that? And he said, oh, it's just my feeling. He didn't say, oh, I talked to Deshaun and he said that because we all know Deshaun Watson wouldn't say that. He said publicly multiple times that he wants to be out or through sources, I guess. I, I shouldn't say he said publicly multiple times, but sources and people around him, He's officially requested a trade, so there's no indication that he has loyalty to you and that he trusts you, but for some reason he said that, and the reporter, it was so funny, the reporter was quick to call him out, he said, what makes you think that? And he said, oh, just my feeling, and I think as soon as he said that, everyone in the room, all the reporters kind of knew, okay, this guy's full of crap, and he's just backpedaling as fast as he can, so kind of funny to see the head coach squirm, but I'm actually going to put most of the blame on this on the GM and the owner. Because for me, if if I'm a GM, I'm going to have a meeting with my head coach, anyone who has the possibility of talking to media and say, listen, this is our official stance on Deshaun Watson. If anyone asks you about Deshaun Watson, you say these words. You avoid saying this. You don't, I I would for sure say you don't say right now because that's damning. Uh, And clearly that didn't happen. So yes, David Culley misstepped and misspoke a little bit. But I do want to put a bit of this blame on the GM and uh, whoever's in charge of you know media and stuff like that because I think that this could have been avoided if they were to have uh, had a meeting and discussed how to approach questions around Deshaun Watson. All right, so we've talked about the NFL, talked about free agency and stuff like that. Now I want to switch over and talk about the UFC. So first and foremost, uh, I just want to talk about March and April, uh, two huge months for the UFC. Uh, and we'll start with March. So the first event of March happened last Saturday, March 6th. And it was the UFC super card, pretty much. Uh, A lot of people had been saying this is the best card of all time. uh, One of the best cards they have ever seen. And in my opinion, it didn't quite live up to the hype. I watched it front to back from the very first fight to the last fight. Um, And the main thing that made this fight card not as exciting is the fact that the three title fights, none of them were quite as you would expect the the first title fight the Bantamweight uh, men's title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan ended in a disqualification before that it was a decent fight but it's very anticlimactic to have a fight end like that and have a champion be crowned after he was you know in all honesty he was starting to lose the fight and for him to win the championship that way was kind of weird to see as a fan uh, then you go to the women's featherweight uh, championship fight between Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson, and that was complete domination. only took two minutes. So again, kind of anticlimactic, but what do you expect? When, you, when you're when you dealing with Amanda Nunes, it's usually going to be a quick and easy night at the office. And then the light heavyweight fight went the distance, went all five rounds, uh, the super fight between Jan Blachowicz and Israel Adesanya. And Jan Blachowicz actually, as the underdog, defended his light heavyweight title against Izzy, And the key in that one for me was the takedowns. Uh, The striking, you know, I think honestly Jan had a bit of the edge in the striking as well. Although we do say, a lot of people say that Israel Adesanya is one of the most sophisticated and he's a very good distance striker. But Jan looked like, he looked the part in that fight. He looked like the champion. And then the two takedowns he got in rounds four and five definitely secured the win for him. All in all, it was a decent card. Uh there was a lot of fights on the uh preliminary card in the early prelims that were very good fights. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Dominic Cruz, got back in the win column. He had a great fight against Casey Kenny. Uh the Song yudong Kyler Phillips fight was good. Uh Rodrigo Bonatarine versus Kaikara France was a crazy first round knockout right before the end of the first round. Uh, what was another good fight? Let's see here kennedy uh, i'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name but at light heavyweight had a crazy knockout in round two of his fight in the early prelims uh just a bunch of good fights oh, one more i want to i want to mention is euros medic they call him the doctor first time watching him fight he fought alan cruz and uh, this guy is a beast he's seven and zero. had a first round knockout on alan cruz Definitely looking forward to seeing more of Eros Medic. So I, I don't want to say that the whole card was a letdown because in the prelims and stuff, there was some good cards, or sorry, good fights. But when you look at the main card, out of the five fights there, or one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, out of the five fights, really four of them were kind of not, not the greatest fights to watch. The first fight of the main card, Tiago Santos versus Alexander Rakic. Uh, that was a title eliminator, and it showed. Both guys look kind of scared to engage. Uh, it went the distance, and I mean, neither guy really did a crazy amount of damage. Rakic was after the fight saying, uh, this was kind of funny, he was saying, oh yeah, I think I get the title shot after this at light heavyweight, and Joe Rogan killed me. He was like, yeah, yeah, so uh, we'll see you uh, maybe in your next fight against a uh, number one contender to see uh, if you get the title shot. Basically dismissing the guy saying, my next fight is for a title, and I think that's fair because he didn't show anything in that fight against Thiago Santos that led me to believe, okay, this is a future champion. Uh, this is not to say Rakic isn't skilled. He's had great fights in the past, but he looked like he was fighting scared to lose. You know, And he knows Tiago Santos has crazy power, so a little disheartening. The only, in my opinion, really good fight on the main card was Islam Makachev versus Drew Dober. That one was a great fight, ended in a round three submission for Islam. So that was UFC 259, the first card of March, and tonight we get our second card of the month of March. It is headlined by Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad at welterweight. This fight is super exciting. Uh, When I looked at Leon Edwards and I looked into him a little bit, I noticed the last time he fought was in 2019, I believe in July. So he had the entire year of 2020 off. This is his first fight of 2021, and So I figured, you know, let me do some research on him, see what he's good at, see what what type of fighter he is. And the main thing I noticed is his elbows. Leon Edwards is nasty with the elbows. If you ever see Leon Edwards in a clinch situation, whenever they break the clinch, he's going to throw an elbow and it's probably going to land. And it's not even just from the clinch. I've seen a lot of his elbows that uh, he's pretty much, he leads off with the elbow in a uh, a flurry of, of punches and kicks. And then he might just throw an elbow in there, so he's very talented. Uh, I've seen Bilal Muhammad fight a couple times, he's also very skilled, so exciting to see how this one goes down. And another exciting thing about this card for me is that when I look at the rest of the card, there's only about two or three names that I even recognize. Ryan Span in the co-main event at Light Heavyweight, I recognize that name. Dan Ige in the fight before that. Uh, nothing else on the main card that I notice then when we flip over to the prelims Angela Hill I recognize that name and the only other name that I recognize on this entire card is Matthew Semmelsberger on uh, he's the first fight of the night at welterweight so I love watching cards where I don't know a lot of the fighters because it gives you a chance to get to know some fighters and you know become fans of guys that and and women as well that you didn't know before which is always exciting for me Then next Saturday we have a middleweight headlined event, uh, headlined by Derek Brunson and Kevin Holland. That one is exciting for me, those two guys can bang. Uh, I don't see any way that that one doesn't end in a knockout honestly, Uh, so I'm excited to see that one. Uh, Again, another fight card where there's not a lot of names that I recognize, so same kind of deal. I'm going to get to know a lot of new fighters, which is exciting being a new fan of the sport. And then after that, uh, the not this next weekend, but the weekend after next, March 27th, we've talked about this card a little bit before. We have UFC 260, headlined by Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou, the rematch. Super, super excited for that one. And even the co-main event is the featherweight championship. So this is a double championship card, uh, featherweight championship between Alexander Volkanovski and Brian Ortega. And uh, also on the main card... Another good fight, the return of Sugishan O'Malley. He's a fan favorite. I definitely like watching him fight. He'll be taking on Thomas Almeida at Bantamweight. And the fight after that is Tyron Woodley against Vincent Luque, or Vincent Luque, however you say it. Uh, honestly, Tyron Woodley, I think it's this might be his last fight. Uh, he's on a little bit of a losing skid, and I think this might be the one to put him away, but we'll see. Uh, then moving into April, April is a stacked month. So the first event of April is on April 10th. We have a middleweight headliner between Darren Till, number four in the middleweight division, and Marvin Vittori, who's number five in the middleweight division. Uh, Darren Till is from England. Marvin Vittori is from uh, Italy. So the, a lot of people are saying this is the middleweight uh, European title fight or whatever. Um, I don't know about that, but <laughs> it's, it's going to be an exciting fight. On that card, uh, Amanda Nunes' wife Nina Ansarov, makes her return. First fight since becoming a mother. She'll fight Mackenzie Dern, who's another popular fighter. So that'll be exciting to see. Also, we have Mike Perry on this card. Love to watch Mike Perry fight. Kind of a savage. uh, So exciting to see him go to work. Then later in April, we have another really, really exciting fight card. We have on April 17th, uh, another middleweight headliner again, Robert Whittaker versus Paulo Costa. Robert Whittaker is the number one ranked middleweight contender. Paulo Costa is the number two. Both guys have lost to Israel Adesanya by KO, so I think this fight is, I don't think this this is the fight to see who will get a second crack at Israel Adesanya as he comes back down to middleweight after his loss at light heavyweight. And then we end the month of April with a banger of a card. There's a few fights that have been announced on UFC 261, but uh, we have two women's championship fights on this card. The main event is going to be women's strawweight, which is 115. We have Wei Li Zhang against Rose Namajunas, Thug Rose. That one is super exciting. And then in the co-main event, we have Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko taking on Jessica Andrade at the flyweight, which is 125 uh, women's championship fight. So super exciting month of March that is coming up and super exciting month of April coming up right after. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so we've went through some NFL news Gave you an outlook on the upcoming months for UFC as well. With that being said, you know, I'm going to tune out for this one. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode. Thank you guys very much. Love and appreciate you. But I'm out. Peace. Let's yeah. Yeah. be a life, no gimmick.